mysterious lights in the sky, about silver craft that skip across the skyline, and about creatures, big, tall, hairy, and all awaiting in the darkest recesses of life's path. So welcome to Monsters Among Us podcast, and please, welcome tonight's first submitter, a spooky little number out of the Badger State of Wisconsin. Hi, Derek. I am calling in response to season 13, episode 10, I believe, the most recent episode. There was a story about a Bigfoot in Wisconsin, or an assumed Bigfoot, and the guy had asked if Bigfoot really was in Wisconsin or not. Now, he was on the west side of Wisconsin, and my story takes place on the east side in a small town called Sabisky, which is pretty much as the crow flies straight across from where he was. And it would have been in 2010, if I'm doing my math correct, because I was new to having my driver's license. And I was in the car in the evening with two other people. They would have been I was 16, they would have been 12 and 8, when the 8-year-old was asleep. Um, but the 12-year-old, maybe 13-year-old, was sitting in the passenger seat next to me, and we were driving to a McDonald's, actually, to pick up food, which is irrelevant to the story. But I was not allowed to drive on the highway at night because I was new to having my driver's license. So I was on Crossroad. I had gone through the town of Sabisky. It's barely a blip on a map. And I had not yet reached, I believe it's Gimo Beach. I honestly have no idea how to say it. I didn't know when I lived there, and I haven't lived there in like seven years. But anyone who knows the area or is looking at a map can look that up. So 
So I was driving down. It's a country road, and you have trees, forests on both sides of the road, and then you have the ditch, then the two-lane road, then the ditch, then the forest. And we were going down the road towards the Gimo Beach, and something, I don't know what it is for sure, I like to say Bigfoot, stepped out of the trees on the left side of the road in one step was in the middle of the road and one more step was back in the trees on the right side of the road and there's no way humanly possible a human did this i hit the brakes on my car and i hit the lock and the 12 year old next to me 13 year old goes that wasn't a bear was it and i said i don't think so and I turned around, I drove back to a place where I could get on the highway, and I got on the highway. And I, to this day, have not driven across that area. And I mean, I was a sophomore in high school when this happened, and I lived in that area till I graduated college. So that was quite a few years I refused to drive that road. Um, the last time I was back, I did drive it with my husband because he wanted to because he's heard the story. To this day, I say that's the reason I believe in Bigfoot and I'm now interested in this whole paranormal thing. The girl who was my passenger is now 24 years old and she won't say it was Bigfoot, but she will say that she doesn't know what she saw. And we were both raised out hunting, camping, hiking. We know bears. Now, I know somebody's going to try to tell me, based on where I was, I'm near Michigan, it was the Dogman, or I'm not horribly far off from Briar Roads, it's the Beast of Briar Road. I don't believe it. I, I'm going with Bigfoot. No reason besides just kind of my gut feeling. It was dark enough, I couldn't make out a ton of details. It was just a big, dark, hairy shape. But my gut says Bigfoot, but I thought I'd call and share that so the caller knows that other people have seen or experienced Bigfoot in Wisconsin, and they say it's Bigfoot. Thank you, and have a great day. Bye. Thank you, caller. Well, let's start with the logical here. Is there a known creature that our caller might have mistaken for a monster? coyote, a deer, even a bear. They all seem to disqualify themselves based on the size the caller described. But there is one animal, rare to that region, that just might be big enough to be mistaken for a squatch. Coming in at over six feet tall at the shoulder and weighing in at around 1,400 pounds, the North American moose is something we should all take a look at. Now, this theory is supported by the fact that from time to time, residents of the state catch a glimpse of this shy and dangerous animal. As evidenced in this clip via WISN, ABC News 12, out of Milwaukee. All right, take a look at this. We have a rare moose sighting in northern Wisconsin. This picture coming from the State Department of Natural Resources. You see it there. I mean, they posted this photo on Saturday, but the image was actually captured by a trail camera in June. It's the first confirmed sighting of a moose in the state this year. So we know they can be found in the area. And this one was spotted only a few hours drive north of where our caller 
and her experience. So the question here is, can a moose look like a Sasquatch from a distance, at night and from a moving car? I suppose only our caller will know for sure. But that's not to say that Wisconsin doesn't have its own history with a monster or two. That also seemed to fit that description that our caller gave. We've talked a few times about Wisconsin's connection with werewolves, dogmen, wolfmen, what have you. And we all know the story of Bray Road and the werewolf that's set to roam there. I told my mom I thought I saw a werewolf. And my mom believed me. It was walking along a good, probably, seven to ten seconds before it had turned its head. That thing, that was no dog. That was too big to be a dog. That thing was bigger than me. That thing was stalking cornfields, jumping on cars, and feasting on roadkill. For two years, people in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, whispered about a king-sized creature who roamed Bray Road. Now that clip from a 1999 story on the subject from television's Inside Edition. It may well have been my introduction to the creature all the way back 30 years ago when it first aired. But you know, dogmen aren't the only upright hairy beasts sent to call the dairy state home. There are bigger things said to lurk in the North Woods. Big things that leave big tracks with their big feet. For example, the following report was collected by the BFRL, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. And this sighting occurred in April of 2013, just an hour's drive north of where our caller had her run-in with the unexplained. I was leaving my cabin headed back from the Pembine area to Green Bay. As I rounded a corner and headed south on County Road 00, I saw a figure cross the road. It walked slowly from east to west, as though not in any hurry. I viewed it from the area just above the elbow up. It had a pointed head, very broad shoulders, and large biceps. I could see the arms swing as it walked just like a human would do. Its color was brown, a mix of dark and light brown with the sun shining off of it. But it was not black. I sped up to get a good look at it, and it was gone. I stopped where I saw a cross and looked to the east. The area was open with scrub brush and its color would have blended in perfect with the surrounding area. It was early spring and there were no leaves on the trees. I could only see to the hills and it would have had to have gone 100 to 150 yards down, then up, not to be seen. I've seen deer, bear, wolves, etc. in the area and none walk upright. When I stopped to get a good look, it was not to be seen. It couldn't have walked that far in that short of time. It had to have been hiding on me. So I don't know. Maybe she simply saw a large moose lumber across a darkened Wisconsin back road. And it all just happened so fast that it managed to fool both witnesses. Or... They encountered what dozens of others have in that area. A large, hair-covered, man-like being. And I'm guessing the chances of that are greater than they would be in most states. 
because after all, in that area, they have two heavy-hitting cryptids to choose from. Thank you again, caller, for sharing that creepy entry. Now, folks, do you remember sleepovers? Parties where the point is to go to sleep. Yet, everyone seems to stay awake. Candy, pizza, chips, pop, soda, whatever you call it. Maybe it's Coke for you weirdos down in Georgia. But add on a couple of horror films from your local VHS rental house. You have yourself quite the Friday evening. Or maybe I'm dating myself here. But that is how it used to be. And of course the stories that we would share. It was always a goal to freak one another out. And this might not come as a surprise. But I was pretty good at that. Even back then. Not to toot my own horn. But sometimes those scares come naturally. Or in Sydney's case, super naturally. Please join me in welcoming her all the way in from Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Sydney. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I wanted to share a story that happened in my friend's house about four years ago in like 2016, 2017, I'd say. She lived in an old Victorian style house. And we were sitting in this room. It was like a TV room in the second floor of the house. And her mom and her father collected all kinds of antiques, like old Star Wars figurines and old like comic book figurines and old toys. We were watching, I think it was like The Godfather or something. And it was like us and the girl who lived there. She was in the shower. One of my other friends, another friend, and another friend. And we were watching the movie. And I went to get a blanket out of this cabinet, and I shook a carousel, and it started spinning. And my friend was like, oh, my God, what was that? And I was like, oh, it was just me. I was in the cabinet, and I bumped it, so it started spinning. I sat back down, and we were watching the movie. And about 20 minutes later, the carousel started spinning real slow, making the creepy old noise on its own. So naturally, we were all freaked out. We jumped up. We screamed. We ran out of the room. I was pounding on the bathroom door while my friend was in the shower. We were, we were like, oh my God, the carousel started spinning. I don't know what to do. It was so scary. We turned back around, looked in the room. Her dog is in the room barking up at the corner of the ceiling. So at this point, I'm thinking, oh my God, there has to be a spirit up there. So I go to my friend's mom's room and I'm like, oh my gosh, Judy, like, what do we do? Like this carousel spinning. And she's like, oh, just ignore it. The ghosts are definitely trying to mess with you. And we were all so freaked out, like we all had to sleep in the same room. And and then a few weekends later, I was at home, and I get a call from my friend, and they were all freaking out. And they were like, Sydney, Sydney, you have to come pick me up. Like, we were sitting in the same room, and a book flew directly off the bookshelf, like into the air and onto the ground. And like, there's no way to explain that, how that happened. So I came and picked them up, and then we went somewhere else to hang out that night. But the only consistent thing about these two experiences is that this one girl was there both times and she happens to be rich and my friend told me the story of the previous owners of her house 
were two drug addicts, and the one overdosed, and the one ended up killing themselves. So I'm thinking that the spirit in the house wasn't fond of this girl because she's really rich. And I'm assuming if they were drug addicts, they were struggling for money. So I don't know. I'm thinking the ghost just kind of has something out for this girl at one time. But I just wanted to share my story because it was super creepy. I never experienced anything like it. And it was just so interesting to see a spirit interact with us through manipulating objects. But yeah, that's my story. Thank you, Sydney. Sounds like a fun time to me. But what do you guys think of Sydney's theory? That the ghosts of the former residents of the rich girl's home were somehow causing these events? I suppose it could be that. But we should also remember that most poltergeist activity somehow involves adolescent children. So maybe a little of this, and a little of that. But either way, we thank you again, Sydney, for sharing the entry. Now, real quick, if you have a story you would like to share, simply call our hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or record your story on your telephone and email me the file at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now, folks, I'm going to slip in one more entry before we hit pause for our sponsors. And I'd like to say that this is a strange one. If I'm honest, aren't they all? Chelsea from New Mexico. Welcome to the show. Hello. Uh, I am a longtime listener, second time caller. My name is Chelsea, and I called a couple of years ago about a skinwalker encounter that I had. And last night, I had another interesting, interesting event happen that I wanted to share with you. Um, I'm currently in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and it's about six o'clock at night, and I'm at work, and, <laughs> and um, I don't know if this detail matters, but I'm going to include it because I think it ties in somewhere. But I work with my ex, who, you know, I avoid like the plague unless I have to absolutely communicate with him. Well, we work in a music store, a really big mom and pop shop, but it's big, and the building is huge, and there's all these like secret rooms and I'm pretty sure there was a suicide in here at one point, but I won't get into that. <laughs> Anyways, it's got some creepy vibes to it. It's really, really, really cool. And all of us, all of my coworkers were, were all kind of into that creepy paranormal side of it. So anyways, I avoid my ex like the plague and I was walking down into the break room We've got this ramp that goes down into a warehouse with the break room sort of off to the right-hand side. And then off to the left side leads stairs that go up into a whole other area. So I was on my way up to the stairs and I saw my coworker from the, my, the side of my eye sitting in the break room, sitting down at the table, eating something. And so I walked past and, you know, I made sure to like tell myself, okay, he's in there, don't make eye contact. <laughs> I go up the stairs, I get the thing that I need, and I walk back out, and I'm making my way to the ramp leading back out to the store, and so now the break room is on my left-hand side, and I don't know why I did this, but I looked over as I walked by, and I saw him pick his head up and look at me, 
oh my God, he picked his head up from whatever he was doing at the table and he looked right at me and I, you know, quickly looked away and I walked out the ramp. And whenever you go up the ramp back out into the main part of the store, we have our front counter where we have our register make all of our purchases right there. It's off to the right-hand side. It's right next to the ramp. And as I'm walking out from the side of my eye, I notice like it's his same stature. It's the same color of shirt that he's wearing. And I was like, that can't be, that can't be him. And I look over to check and it's him. And so I like jumped five feet to the left. I just jumped out of my shoes. I couldn't, it took me like a couple minutes to sort of process what had just happened. And I tried to retrace my steps and think about like the time on that. There's no way. So I I think I saw a doppelganger (laughs) and and, um, doppelgangers are one of the freakiest things to me. I just, oh, I can't even think about it. Coincidentally, I'm actually sitting in the room at the table where I saw the doppelganger. I was just kind of thinking about it and thought I would call in and share that story with you. So, yeah, I saw my ex's doppelganger. And if I didn't, then I must really be overthinking this whole ex thing because <laughs> because I just can't figure out how he got from the break room to the front counter before I did. And there's just no way he could have done it. I don't know. But the fact that I saw him look up and make eye contact with me was the creepiest thing because then coming out of that room, seeing my ex standing at the counter, looking at me confused as to why I was scared to see him. I was like, I just saw you in the break room. And he said, I haven't been in there for a couple hours. And I was like, I just saw you in there. You were just in there. I don't know. Maybe I need to drink more water. (laughs) Anyway, thanks, Derek. Thank you, everybody. You guys do such a great job. And yeah, Happy New Year. Thanks, Chelsea. You know, I had a thought while I was listening to this one. Perhaps this isn't a doppelganger story at all, but rather a time slip tale. It does fall in line with other time slip stories we've heard in past recounts. So regardless of what we call it, what a strange occurrence to have. And we thank you again, Chelsea, for forwarding the terror on to us. Now, from time to time, we'll stumble across someone that's actively trying to contact the strange and the unusual. Broadcasting to the ether that they're open and accepting the oddities of our world. And sometimes those individuals call in with their encounters, just like this one from the state of Illinois. Stacy, welcome to the show. Hi, my name is Stacy, and this incident happened in Crystal Lake, Illinois, probably about three years ago at night. We were in my friend's backyard, and we often get together and do a miscellaneous stuff. I mean, we just, we try to see each other's aura. We feel like we're talking to aliens. We're channeling. We, we just do a lot of stuff, and we have a lot of weird experiences, but one night we were talking and there was this energy that came into the room right in between us while we're sitting on our patio furniture on our screen and porch and the energy was a real nuisance it kept getting the way of both of us and we saw it it was a white blob it was just like a just a white bouncing blob and it it just was a, a nuisance energy and so we were 
talking to our friends, so to speak, that we normally talk to that you can't see. And we were saying, you know, what is this being? Is this being safe? Is this being dangerous? You know, we were picking up on it being just a little problematic, but nothing really negative. And they determined, apparently, that it needed to leave the room. So what happened was, here we see this white blobby thing. It was more than opaque. It was almost solid. And we both were seeing it and describing it the same way. And all of a sudden, this thing did what I call a a reverse schmoo. (laughs) It, like, formed this tail like it was getting pulled out of the room until it got smaller and smaller and went into a pinhole in the yard. So it was, you know, its normal size. It was like it was getting pulled out and getting smaller and smaller until it just disappeared into a pinhole. And we thought, what the hell? We thought that was so strange. We had never seen anything like that. And shortly thereafter, this image showed up uh, behind us out one window behind my friend. And we both saw this too. And it was just a flat, solid white, literally looked just like the United Way vintage logo of three beings holding hands. But you couldn't even see the hands. It just looked just like the United Way cutout logo of those three beings side by side. And then that disappeared and I thought, I don't even know what to say. I mean, to this day, we're like totally perplexed about the whole thing. Can't believe we saw what we saw. We were laughing so hard when that thing disappeared into a pinhole. I'm guessing that was a portal, but just like relaxed, having a nice time, kind of not taking it all so seriously. And that happened. And to this day, you know, we still talk about like, what the hell was that? Anyway, I wanted to share that super weird. Bye. And sometimes I'm left speechless. And this is one of those times. I truly have no idea what Stacy and her friend might have encountered that evening. But if you do, please be sure to let us know. Call the hotline, shoot me an email, or comment on social media. Until then, I'll keep my ears open. And all I can say is, thank you, Stacy, for calling in. Now, if you're out there feeling the pressure of holiday gift-giving and let us ease a few of your worries. Get the Monsters Among Us lover in your life, a t-shirt, a hat, a poster, a koozie, or a bevy of other items found from our shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com. And if your family is hounding you, asking, what do you want for Christmas this year? Then send them your t-shirt size and the link. And if you are shopping, be sure to order early so it arrives before the holidays. And remember that each purchase goes a long way to help the show continue to grow. And another way is by tuning in to these tantalizing and terrifying tales. Tales like this one from repeat offender Wakuli out of Virginia. Hello, Derek. Call me Wakuli, spelled W-A-G-U-L-I. There's a meaning behind that nickname, strange as it sounds. I'm located in Virginia, and I've been listening to Monsters Among Us for about a month now, gorging on episodes during the workday. 
it's well past time that I called to relate some of the interesting things I've experienced. The first two connected stories I want to share, however, were prompted by Season 6, Episode 15, The Last Call of the Show from Jeff, which caused you to quit for the night. I've written this out so as to assure I don't forget anything, so forgive me if it sounds scripted. I don't like phones or calling people, and having things written down helps me. These two stories took place in 2012 and 2013, respectively, and involved my niece. She was about two years old during the first incident and had just turned three at the time of the second incident. Let me preface this by saying that my niece never utilized baby speech the way most children do. I'm a writer, and we're all long-winded geeks in this family, so she heard large words and full sentences from birth and basically began speaking in them right from the off. The second story I'm going to relate is something I wrote down literally as it was happening and have saved in the years since simply because of the unusual nature of it. But let me start with the first incident of second sight, foresight, or whatever you would call it that my niece ever exhibited. It was a Sunday night up into the winter months of 2012. I'm not sure of the exact date, but it was cold and it was sleeting that night. About 10 p.m., my cell phone rang, and it was my twin sister, which was unusual because she works an early morning shift, and it usually, by that time, she's asleep since she has to get up so early. When I answered the phone and asked what was wrong, she explained that my niece, who, as I said, was only about two at the time, had woken up crying and was going on and on about our mother, her grandmother, being out in the dark, out in the ice and cold and wet. My sister had tried to calm her down, but she wasn't having it. So my sister had promised she would call me as I live with our parents and get me to put Gromir on the phone to prove that she was okay and not out in the cold or the wet or anywhere. The problem was Gromir wasn't home. Unbeknownst to either my sister or her daughter, my mom had gone to a friend's house for a Bible study that night. Not only that, but she was actually almost 45 minutes overdue to return home, something I hadn't realized until my sister called. So she was actually out in the dark, in the sleet, in the ice and cold. Now, my mom isn't one for cell phones. And while she has a little flip phone, it doesn't get service most of the time, even if she bothers to have it turned on. My sister and I were raised in Appalachia, in Virginia and West Virginia, and we didn't even question the fact that my niece had woken up distressed over our mom being in the wet, icy dark. We just immediately started worrying that my niece was right and something was wrong. Superstition in this way is something we've just witnessed our entire lives, and I've seen enough things turn out to be true to know that they often are, but we didn't tell my niece any of that. Instead, my sister made up some excuse that Grandmere was busy at the moment, but would call right back as soon as she was finished whatever it was she was supposedly doing. Now, thankfully, my mom trailed in half an hour later, just fine, thank you very much, and having no idea that we were worried at all. I asked her why she was late, and she explained that she'd gotten hung up talking with her best friend and then got slowed down further when she had to wait while a tow truck pulled someone out of the ditch where they'd slid off the road and sleep. I told her about my niece, and she called my sister and assured my niece that everything was fine, my niece went to bed, and that was that. But I've always wondered, did my niece see a possible future that didn't actually happen? If my mom hadn't dallied around with her friend, but the car she saw being pulled out of the ditch ended up being in a much worse wreck than maybe my mom would have been involved in, it just makes you stop and consider all the possibilities. This second incident with my niece took place when she was three, so 2013, 
I was home alone with her, and it was a beautiful early fall day, so we were out in the yard, me laying flat on my back, watching the sky while she puttered around, gathering fall leaves and late flowers. My niece could sing as early as she could talk, so she was humming some made-up song to herself while she played, and it was only when she got quiet that I cracked an eye open to see what she'd gotten up to. She was right there beside me, though, looking up at the trees. Then she looked down at me and said, It was like this outside when we went away. There was something so matter-of-fact, so completely solid about it, like she was just telling me she'd stubbed her toe or some other normal thing, that I knew I wanted to document her answers. So I pulled out my phone and I opened the note app, and then I asked her, who went away and why? My niece seemed to consider the questions for a moment, and then she shrugged. She said, you took me in Gronmere's car. We drove far, far away. We kept going, and Gronmere was gone. Everyone was gone, and you kept driving. We went so far away with the sun running behind us, and there were giant trees on this side, she motioned to her right, and there were giant trees on that side, she motioned to her left. I couldn't see the sky, they were so tall, and there were no planes in the sky. We stayed in the woods so nobody could see us, even though there wasn't anybody to look for us. And then I found the dark man, and he wasn't good, but he wasn't bad, and we did okay. When she was done reciting the scenario, my niece nodded to herself and then fell back into humming while I scrambled to write down every word she said, breathless from all of it. When I was done, I called her back over and I asked, when did this happen? Did you dream about it? She screwed up her face, and at first I thought maybe she didn't understand the question, but then she said, no, I just know it. I don't know how. I was bigger, but still small. And Gronmere's car was still big, but smaller than it is now. And it was dark, almost like nighttime. Like almost nighttime is what she said, specifically. And that was the end of it. My niece went back to playing, and I started playing with ideas how to turn her strange story into a book. It could have been caused by any number of mundane things, but it could also be something more. My niece had never heard of the Pacific Northwest back in 2013. She had no idea that trees could get so tall they can hide the sky. She had no idea that there could be a time when planes weren't in the sky. She didn't know about the sun rising in the east and how it might look like it was running into the sky behind somebody who was traveling west. She didn't know any of that, but she still described it perfectly. And neither of us could know that my mom's silver minivan would die three years after my niece told me all of this, and that I'd end up buying a Honda CRV, which happened to be deep blue, the shade of deep twilight, almost nighttime. My niece has just turned 10, and she doesn't remember telling me any of this that day out in the yard, but I remember it. And sometimes I wonder if it might actually come true someday. Thank you for everything you do, Derek, and thank everyone else who helps make Monsters Among Us possible. I'll call back with some less eerie tales soon. But until then, take care. Thank you, Ugly. Well, I don't know. Part of me can't help but think that stories like these, instances where children seem to know things they shouldn't or even couldn't, are simply coincidental happenings. Something random that a child says that just so happens to be interpreted a certain way by the adults in the situation. A way that seems to connect some dots. And the human imagination takes over from there. Sometimes I can't help but think that. 
but these stories happen very often, and some of the information conveyed is eerily on point, especially when past lives are involved. And I've heard countless accounts from children that claim to remember the life they previously led right before their death. There's actually one story in particular that comes to mind. It's an older one, out of 2015, about a 10-year-old boy named Ryan that remembered his past life in early Hollywood, beat by beat. It's not unusual for little boys to have vivid imaginations, but Ryan's stories were legendary. He said, Mom, I have something I need to tell you. I think I used to be somebody else. And he started just telling me these stories about how he had lived in Hollywood. His stories were so detailed. It just wasn't like a child that could have made it up. Ryan talked about dancing on Broadway, working for an agency, traveling the world, being married five times. He even said the street he lived on had the word rock in it. And it would be, my last room was grander. I want to go back to my swimming pool. But things got really strange when they picked up a book about the golden age of Hollywood. She turns to a page and I say, that's me. That's how, who I was. That's me. Yeah. But the man in the picture wasn't even a major star, just an unnamed extra with no lines in an old Mae West film. But with the help of a movie historian, the man Ryan pointed to in the picture was finally identified. His name, Marty Martin. And just like Ryan said, he was a former actor turned Hollywood agent who danced on Broadway was married five times and even lived on Roxbury Drive in Beverly Hills. In all, Dr. Tucker confirmed that 55 of the things Ryan said were true. But there was one fact the detail-obsessed scientist thought Ryan had wrong. And he said he didn't see why God would let you get to be 61 and then make you come back as a baby. That looked like just an incorrect statement. That's because Martin's death certificate says he was 59 when he died. Since then, I've gotten information that the death certificate was actually incorrect, which would have made Martin Martin 61 when he died. Ryan was right all along. Now that clip courtesy of NBC News. And I had a hard time believing Ryan's claims at first, but he simply knew too much. And when he starts uncovering mistakes on death certificates, well, that becomes pretty convincing for me. Now, I've linked to the full story in the show notes at monstersamonguspodcast.com. The video shows vintage photographs that really help put all this in perspective. So, go take a look. And I'm not saying that Wuggly's niece is reincarnated or something. But I'm also not saying that she wasn't either. Now thanks as always, Wakuli, for sharing and sending in your story. Now then, a while back we did a museum worker special. Tour guides, volunteers, docents, even security guards. And like most of our specials, there were all sorts of entries from all over the world submitted, or at least here in North America. And our next entry would have been right at home on that special episode. So from that great apartment upstairs, please welcome Lynn to the program. Hi Derek, my name's Lynn and I'm calling from Vancouver, Canada. 
I think I heard you ask for museum stories, so I thought I'd send a couple stories from my past. I worked in museums and galleries for 26 years, and they're often in older buildings that have been converted, so it stands to reason that there'd be some that would have crazy stuff going on. I know some ladies who worked in an artist-run centre in Guelph, Ontario, in a converted abattoir, and they said that they had ghost cows, though I never got any details from them. I worked in one gallery at Concordia University in Montreal that was in a new building, but it was built on the site of an Edwardian-era apartment building. The gallery was behind the old facade that they'd saved, but as I say, the building was new. I often stayed late on nights when we were installing new shows and the rest of the staff had left. I'd stay to catch up on my work. Invariably on these nights at five past six, I would hear footsteps in the gallery. I'd always call it, hello, and not get an answer, so I'd go and look and there would be no one there. Before that, I used to work at an artist-run centre in Peterborough, Ontario, and it was in an old market hall. It had been built in 1889 as a farmer's market, and there was a clock tower attached to it. I found out a few years ago, long after I'd left, there was a young man who died there during the construction of the market hall. I'd always suspected as much. Lots of people told me that they felt uncomfortable there when they were there alone, just said that they found it spooky. The gallery had a theatre attached to it, and when the Artist Run Centre took over the space in the 1980s, they had planned to make the rooms in the clock tower into an artist studio. One woman I worked with uh, was in one of the rooms once developing film, and she said that she saw feet under the crack of the door just standing there. And I was there that day, but nobody went up there when she was there. I had lots of experiences in the gallery myself. The offices were on the second floor, uh, with a big window looking over the gallery and two staircases going up to either end of the office area. For a while I had an office at one end, then there was a conference room in the middle, and then there was a big office with four desks at the other end by the second staircase. One day I came up the stairs by my office and was going to the conference room and as I passed my office I saw a man sitting in my chair. He was leaning back with his ankles crossed. I was going pretty quickly but by the time I registered him I was almost past the office. I looked back and there was nobody there. Another time I was teaching a curatorial studies class in the gallery and a couple of my students started talking so I stopped and asked if they had a question. One of the girls said she'd asked her friends if she had seen someone walk through the gallery. And I said, oh, that's just our ghost, and continued on. There was one show of of an artist by Diana Borgoyne. She works with technology, and this show had various pieces that were interactive. And along one wall, there was a group of plastic cups that had objects in them, and they were connected to a motion detector. So if you walk past, they'd spin and rattle. And they were always going off, but as often as not, no one was in the gallery when they'd start up. One time I remember they started up and I hadn't plugged the installation in yet. One of the craziest things that happened, though, was this. I was having a conversation with my, my assistant one day in the gallery, uh, in the big office, and we were talking intensely about something. And I was bent over a desk writing something and talking to her and I could see her legs beside me in my peripheral vision. And I said something to her and I looked up, but she wasn't there. She was actually sitting at her desk behind me. 
And one more story from that time, if you don't mind. There was a back staircase that came up uh, with a door into the conference room. And when I came in in the morning, I often came up that way. I'd put my stuff down and then go down to the mall and get a cup of coffee. So one summer we had an artist residency in the gallery and the artist would sometimes sleep in the gallery even though he wasn't supposed to. If he couldn't find anywhere else that, that he could couch surf for the night, he had this uh, chaise long that he slept in. So I always checked to see if he was there when I came in. And one morning I came in and looked down into the gallery to see if he was there. And I saw him lying in his chair. So I put my stuff down in my office and I went down the stairs to see if he wanted me to get him a coffee. But when I got downstairs, he wasn't there. So I went down for my coffee and I started to work. And then a couple of hours later, he came in and I asked him if he'd slept in the gallery that night. But he said no, that he'd stayed at a friend's house that night. And that's pretty much it. I hope you like my stories. Love your show. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lynn. You know, I'm a museum guy. Sarah and I always stop when we pass one. If we have the time, of course. And I've seen some god-awful roadside joints. And I've been all the way up to the Smithsonian. And I'll admit, I enjoy it all. And if I learned anything standing, staring at display after display it's that those sort of places seem to hold energy for one reason or another as Lynn and everyone else in that museum worker special can attest there's just something about those spaces that seem to relay energy from another time, place, or plane so don't be afraid to stop you never know what you might learn and you never know which you might encounter. Thank you again, Len, for sharing the amazing entry. All right, folks, it's time to wrap this episode up. But before I do, please don't forget, I'm asking you for a holiday gift this year. The gift of a review. Wherever possible, please rate and review the show and help us continue to grow and collect these fascinating tales. Apple Podcast and Spotify both allow you to do such a thing. And it only takes a few minutes. And it's a huge, huge help for the show. And again, it's all I want for Christmas. Now, folks, this last story covers a topic I teased a few weeks ago when discussing Brad's story out of Southwest Ohio. Season 16, Episode 4 if you'd like to go back. But there he described seeing a strange silver ball floating in the air. Well, it turns out Brad isn't the only one to have witnessed such a thing. The following was submitted by Cody in Illinois. Hey, Derek. My name is Cody. I live in the Chicagoland area. It's about 4 o'clock, February 28th. I was driving into work I work in a industrial area, I work in a warehouse, so there's not much around. Very clear sunny day, and as I was going to make my turn into this industrial complex, I looked up and saw what I can only describe as a silver ball. Like I said, it's a pretty bright sunny day, and 
as I watched this thing move, it was moving left to right in my field of view, not too high up in the air. The way it was reflecting the sun suggested that it was sort of undulating, like it wasn't completely solid. I watched it for about 10 or 15 seconds, and then I had to make my turn, so I glanced away. When I glanced back to look back at it, it was no longer there. I pulled off into a neighborhood, and I'm a birder, so I keep a pair of binoculars on my passenger seat because you never know when something you want to look at is going to fly overhead. Picked up the binoculars. I was scanning. Anybody that uses binoculars knows that you're not supposed to scan with your binoculars. You scan with your eyes and you bring your binoculars up to look at whatever you're looking at. But I was unable to find it again. It did end up finding three aircraft, but they were much higher up than whatever this was that I saw. The only things I can think of would be some sort of foil balloon or something like that that was maybe not fully inflated, and that's why it was undulating like that and reflecting the sun in the way that it was. But it was pretty large. I would say at the distance I saw it, it seemed like maybe the size of a smaller aircraft like a Cessna or something like that. Anyway, yeah, I'm not really sure what it was. If it was a balloon or it was some sort of small plane, I would assume I I would have still been able to see it when I turned and pulled over to look for it, but I I looked for a good 10 more minutes and I was never able to find it again, so I don't know, maybe somebody else saw it. This is kind of a busy area. I'd I'd really like to know if, if anybody else reports it, and thank you for your time, and thank you for your show and giving us an outlet to report things like this. I don't have many experiences myself, but it's great to hear other people's, so thank you and have a good day. Thanks, Cody. Now, as you've probably already deducted, this sort of sighting is quite popular. I've had dozens of silver ball UFO reports submitted to this program alone. So people are certainly seeing something out there. But I can't say for sure that anyone saw the exact craft that you did, Cody. But I can confidently say that others have seen and possibly touched something similar. Which leads me to that promise I made a few weeks back. You see, I'd mentioned something called the Betts Sphere. Here's a clip from Ancient Aliens to get us caught up on that strange object. A very strange thing happened in May of 1974 when a Florida man named Terry Betts found on his island property this curious metal sphere, now known as the Betts Sphere. They took it home. They didn't know what it was. They thought it looked like a a downed NASA satellite or maybe a Soviet satellite. So Terry just puts it in a windowsill for a couple of weeks. Then one day, he has a friend over, and as he's playing the guitar, the sphere suddenly starts to come alive. It starts making humming sounds, and it seems to be responding to particular notes played by the guitar. Then another thing he noticed is that if you put the sphere on the ground, it'll roll away from you and then roll back to the person who rolled the sphere initially. If you put it on the tabletop, it'll roll around the tabletop, but never off the edge of the tabletop. Then strange things started happening. Doors in their houses started slamming on their own, and they began hearing organ music in the house at night. And this started to really concern them. And yes, the Betts family started to freak out a little. They had no idea what this thing was, nor where it came from. No one seemed to know. 
so they reached out to both NASA and the U.S. military in hopes of having it identified. Well, that didn't happen necessarily, but they did learn that the sphere was not solid. It actually had two smaller spheres hidden within, spheres that seemed to move independently. And even more strange, the object was emitting a radio frequency of some sort. And not only that, but the ball seemed to have magnetic poles as well. Just like planet Earth. Now eventually, the military gave the Betts family the sphere back. Once they were finished up with a multitude of tests, of course. Yet no source of the strange ball was ever given. But there were reports that the sphere was different after it was returned. That it no longer had the mysterious movements and the unique attributes that it once did. Suggesting that dear old Uncle Sam pulled the old bait and switch on the Betts family. But as weird and unusual as this story is, and as rare as the Betts sphere seems to be, it's not the only time when someone has stumbled upon one. Back in the early 1980s, a music promoter came upon something that would change his life forever. I was living in New Mexico, and a friend of mine, Dennis Hopper's bodyguard, wanted me to come out and see his house. It was way out in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. We went out there, and there was a pile of these spheres laying in his yard. How many? Maybe six or seven. I don't really don't remember exactly. There was just a pile of them. And I was amazed because I'd never seen anything like these. And I what the heck is that? And he said, I'd tell you, but you wouldn't believe me. And I said, well, try me. And he said, well, Jim, I swear to God, a UFO came over my house and dropped these out in my yard. And he said, they've been sitting there ever since. And uh, I was amazed at them. And he said, do you want one? You can have one. So I took it. Well, I've had it for over 40 years, so I've, I've seen it do some things that I can't explain. As I was laying on my back, on my floor, and I was just mindlessly rubbing my feet on the sphere while I was talking to a friend of mine. And when there suddenly there was this flash of light, and I was shot across the floor on my back. I was six to 10 feet away from the sphere. It knocked me that far away from it. You know, and there's no explanation for that. And that video, courtesy of 7news.com.au, out of Australia. And like the Bet Sphere, the Marlin Sphere, too, was tested. But I was not able to find the results anywhere. But if they are ever published, I'll be sure to circle back. But this isn't the last that we'll hear of these strange silver orbs. Of course, we'll continue to receive reports of them hovering over our neighborhoods, and we'll see grainy video of them flying over cities around the world. Check out the Mosul orb in the show notes if you don't know what I'm talking about. And I also put a video up there that shows both the Bent Sphere in action, as well as the Marlin Sphere. So I dare you to go take a look. The point here being that these things seem to be everywhere. So I really hope that I come across one. Until then, thanks again, Cody, for calling in. Thanks for expanding this mystery. 
and thank you for keeping your eyes open. And that's going to do it for this issue. Please be sure to hang out until after the show officially ends. Trust me, you don't want to miss anything. We're definitely sneaky like that. Now, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please take a moment to follow us on social media. We have accounts at Instagram and Facebook. While you're at it, jump on YouTube and give us a like and follow there. And don't forget about that rate and review I already asked for. Don't forget you can catch us on Internet Radio. Saturdays at 11 p.m. Eastern and Sundown 96.6 on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. And finally, the score. Well, it was provided by Armchair Ambiance, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Keep it spooky out there, folks. And please, do what you can. Have a good night. Tonight's secret entry is an add-on to a previous call, but I think it'll do okay on its own. Please welcome Ray back to the program. This is Ray from Missouri. Season 13, Episode 7, you played a story I shared about an encrypted encounter I had. Part of it was, you know, we'd spotted this thing as when I was a little kid, and my parents, my mom told me not to name it, not to... Uh, discuss it with anybody and I just want to give a quick follow-up on that we lived on a farm there in southwest Missouri one of our neighbors was a Polish family in fact the granddad had fought in the second world war he was a partisan had fought against the Nazis during the second world war and then had moved here after the war was over and I really liked this guy because he would but he talked to us kids like we were adults he didn't talk to us like he was talking to little kids and all of us boys like that, of course. Now, we'd been told by our mother not to talk about this encounter we'd had, but I had to tell somebody. And so when this guy again, his family came over to visit, I had a chance and I told him, when nobody else was around, I told him that story. And he got very serious. And I asked him, I said, what do you think we saw? And his face got very serious, and he looked at me and he says, he says, yes, I know what you saw. And I said, what did I see? He said, he said you saw a Vikulak. Now, I've forgotten a lot of things over the years, but I'll never forget that word and the way he said it. Vikulak.
And I was like, what is a Vikulak? And he said, he said, you saw the devil's dog is what you saw. Well, about this time, my mom come out of the house. And of course, we had to change the subject real quick. And I, I never got the chance to ask him or talk to him again about it. And, you know, being a kid, this all kind of fell by the wayside. And it was years later when I was in college, I found a, I came, in a bookstore, I came across a English-Polish dictionary. And I decided to look that, I bought the dictionary, I decided to look that word up because I'd never forgotten it. And it took me a while to find it because it turned out I had it spelled wrong. The V sound in Polish is not spelled with a V, it's spelled with a W. So instead of being spelled Wielkulak, as in V-E-A-L or something like that, it's W-I-L, Wielkulak. I looked it up. It's a Polish word for werewolf. And uh, I don't know if you can use this or not, but I thought it was a good follow-on on the story I gave you earlier. And uh, I thought it was something you might find interesting. Anyway, thank you for the good work, and thank you for playing my submission, and have a good evening. Thanks, Ray. Now, that was actually Season 13, Episode 6, where Ray describes seeing a dogman-like creature drinking from a creek on a hot summer evening back in 1974. It was certainly an unsettling encounter. And if you haven't heard it, I suggest you go back and give it a listen. But a huge thanks to Ray for sharing the additional info. These werewolf-type creatures seem to be everywhere these days. Maybe even in Poland. Well, folks, if you didn't buy the tickets, you can't take the ride. So this is where I leave many of you. But it doesn't have to be like this. You can go to patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us podcast, then sign up for the $5 level and get instant access to tonight's bonus content and the entire back catalog of exclusive episodes. And you can do it all for free for seven days. Hit up our website, monstersamonguspodcast.com, and click the Patreon tab to learn more. Don't miss out on entries like Mike's from over in Pennsylvania. Hi, Derek. It's Mike from Pennsylvania. I'm calling about a story that happened back in 1972 when I was 13 years old. My dad was stationed at a little radar site in Sullivan County, Pennsylvania. And my dad.